Esperanza Payana, today's guest, leads the Food and Farm Communication Fund. She is a cultural change leader working with people, data, strategy, capital, and storytelling. She is passionate about community-centered economic development and equitable and sustainable food systems. She'll also share insights about her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Esperanza, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to learn more about the Food and Farm Communications Fund. It sounds like you're doing amazing work. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, this is kind of a new position for you, isn't it, Esperanza? You're just two months in as the executive director. Tell us a little bit about your history with the organization. Well, that is correct. Um, I am new to the fund um, as staff. Um, I have intersected with our community and network because I've been working in food and farm systems change for a good portion of my career. Um, I have done that work through community organizing, through policy, um, through civic engagement, um, and then through community development finance and now philanthropy. That's it's fantastic. Uh, fantastic. Uh, you've done so many of these different aspects. You've come at this problem or the, the, in a variety of ways. First, why don't you share with us some of your the, the way you think about the problem you're working to solve? And then maybe you can frame it for us also from a standpoint of how uh, policy investment, you know, the work you did at the CDFI and then how working from a nonprofit, how all of those tools kind of approach the problem differently and, and what they all bring to bear. Yes, absolutely. So I can tell you very clearly through my trajectory and my career, um, you know, starting on the community organizing um, side of things was really being in community, speaking with people about what they needed. Um, I think at that time it was approaching the issue of access to healthy food and um, environmental sustainability through individual behavior um, and asking, really trying to educate folks and engage them in other options. Um, and I think very quickly because of the communities that I was working within, which are communities that I feel both a high level of accountability and relatability within, um, it was apparent that there were very few alternatives, that the, the issue of access, it, it wasn't a matter of people changing their behavior or changing the behavior of their family. It was a matter of even if they wanted to, they didn't have access. It was not geographically available to them or um, it wasn't affordable. Uh, so I realized, wow, you know, I'm, this doesn't feel fair at all. This doesn't feel like a just approach to my work if there is no really viable alternative. Um, so then I really started looking at, okay, how do we develop viable alternatives? And I was drawn into the policy side. Are there are these policy barriers that we're not able to move these programs, projects, enterprises forward? Um, and so I spent a good amount of time because it is it is in part, to be honest, it is in part policy, but I learned through my decade or so uh, within the policy realm that uh, policy is necessary, but not sufficient. And what I found was that, again, the folks that I was organizing with, the voices that I wanted present um, to present their needs and stories, these are communities most impacted by inequities within uh, food and farm systems, the laborers, um, uh, low-income communities, uh, that 
uh, really those alternatives were being developed from within the community and they were not necessary. It was not necessarily a policy barrier directly um, at their level. It was access to capital. It was actually finding, and not only that, but once policies were being passed, um, I was finding there was very little, you know, budgetary allocation to actually bring that policy to fruition. Um, so then my big question was, where are the funders? Why are we, this is such a vital issue. It is so necessary within our communities for the growth of our children, for our health, for our longevity, I just even for preventive care to avoid excessive healthcare costs, all of it. Um, so then I thought, whose door do I need to go knock on to have this conversation? And I think through my work with seeing how this food access um, is truly, you know, it is developing an equitable, sustainable food system is a, hugely a community development issue. And so that is then what drew me into the community development sphere. And then even then the community development finance sphere, where there are some really innovative models and practices around, you know, looking at integrated capital, developing flexible financial tools that enters into this whole other arena of equitable access to capital. Um, so, you know, that, that has been the trajectory. And then also as part of that conversation within integrated capital is, you know, the philanthropy side, how do we engage more philanthropy to really participate in more meaningful, um, investment, not just grant funding, though it is vital and has its role, but a more meaningful investment into solutions. Um, and in all of that, my work has very much been around fostering the voice of the people who are most impacted by the inequities, always looking at who is driving the solution, who's making the decisions, and really wanting to ensure um, power and decision-making um, uh, frameworks that enable our very communities most impacted to step up and be a part of that solution and voice. So it made perfect sense for me that this particular uh, fund, Food and Farm Communications Fund, which does exactly that, they fund uh, the projects that ensure uh, grassroots community, frontline communities, again, people most impacted are front and center, that their voices are being amplified that their projects to be heard, which is critical, critical in the work that we do, um, that they are present. And it's it's quite amazing to see the, the effectiveness of it. Now, your fund has funded a lot of projects um, over the last several years. Uh, can you give us some examples? I, I want to create some specificity around the projects to help color in the, the, to add clarity to this discussion so we can all better understand the problem by understanding the things you're doing to address it. Yes. Um, so we have funded um, 90 plus individual groups um, across the United States. Um, and uh, there are some really great examples. I think one of our early examples, we're celebrating our 10th year, if I haven't already um, shared that. So this is exciting to really have a decade of work to look uh, to look at and be able to speak to our effectiveness, our impact. Um, so one of our early projects was actually um, working with groups from uh, research uh, journalists to um, farmers in Iowa, 
um, to smaller media outlets um, and, you know, rural organizations. That's the other thing about the work is that we are the Food and Farm Communications Fund, but we don't only fund just food and farm groups per se. We look at the overall strategy that people are using to impact uh, transformative change within our food system, food and farm systems. Um, so we work with rural coalitions. We, we work with the folks who are leveraging their tools and having impact on, you know, let's say climate change, um, but it's impacting the food and farm system. So in those early stage, uh, you know, we worked with groups like um, Center for Rural Affairs, uh, the Practical Farmers of Iowa, Food and Environment Reporting Network. They were all organizing uh, to create the kind of communications years in advance. And this is the brilliance of it. This is why, again, we really look at communication strategies. So we're looking years in advance to the next round of farm bill uh, advocacy, doing the work that's needed to really build up the story in order to share the narrative about the impacts directly within community, um, particularly around poor uh, you know, industrial agricultural practices that are harming communities and uh, doing a disservice to long-term soil health to bring those stories forward and to work directly with farmers who are such a, a small you know, group of folks who are, you know, who want to have that kind of, who are able, there's so many issues that farmers face every day um, that is in, has been influenced by uh, United States policy. So um, having folks come together to actually uh, train in their ability to speak with media and acquire mainstream media um, space to share that narrative was critical. So when you look at the work that was started, that's just one example. There are other groups that we funded who were doing some similar work. By 2018, um, federal policy passed that included sustainable agriculture as not only a definition, but had allocations specifically to support sustainable agriculture. So that's an example of a very big win. It took years to get there, but it took this kind of communication strategy, which includes organizing, it includes coalition building, it's all of the ways in which we talk to each other and unify our message. Well, it, it is vitally important, right? We all, 100% of us need food uh, and we all want that food to be as sustainably produced as possible. Um, so yeah, it's, it's incredibly important work that you're doing I wonder if you could give us an example of the challenges you're seeing among those who are most disadvantaged in the production of food uh, and, and how you are engaging with them. Absolutely. Um, so food system workers are one of the most um, exploited uh, workers in the United States. Um, and that's across from production all the way through food system um, and so, you know, I think farm workers are a really strong example of that. Um, extremely unfair and inhumane working conditions. Um, and so we have definitely supported, that's another example. So I gave you early stage looking at um, uh, environmental sustainability, but of course we're talking about food systems. So we're talking about equitable and sustainable. So we're looking at, you know, uh, racial equity, economic resilience. How do we actually fund the community doing the work, right? The, the working, the, the food system workers, how do we support them with what they need to ensure um, that we have fair labor rights? I mean, that, that should be a given, but it is absolutely not. Um, so again, we work with, uh, you know, really amazing groups um, who are, 
doing that work. I'm thinking through some of the examples um, that have to do with impacts. I mean, part of them, uh, let's say the Hawaiian Alliance for Progressive Action is a group that is looking at not only exposures, because when we do talk about environmental sustainability, we're talking about not just the environment, but first and, and, and foremost is also the health of the workers. They're being exposed to these chemicals. Um, so we've worked with them. Um, we have worked with Food System um, Workers Alliance, um, the Food Chain Workers Alliance. Um, it's a it's quite a number. <laughs> I'm happy mm-hmm. to share more about our yeah. you know list of grantees. But like I said, it's it's quite a significant um, number of folks that we have been funding again to make sure that they are front and center um, in the in being able to um, express, share the narrative. And, and even, I mean, as you can imagine, the food industry, food and ag industry is an extremely um, well-resourced industry and they control the narrative around food. Um, food and the resources that are needed to grow food, uh, water, uh, and for that reason, you know, we don't have multi-billions of dollars to be able to invest the same kind of PR and massive campaign and media strategy per se. Um, and yet what we can do is bring these powerful stories of people impacted directly in their lives forward for people to understand and see what is happening on the ground. I think the Immokalee workers uh, in Florida um, were a really good example of that. So the mm-hmm. film project that they, the food chain workers uh, film uh, that was both a film and an education campaign um, with the Alliance for Fair Food. I think that's a very good example of creative ways in which we worked with um, creative community, communication strategy to engage a broader audience and ensure education and advocacy around supporting fair labor rights and practices. It's great stuff. It's great stuff. As you think about what you've seen over the years, it seems to me you were initially drawn to this work maybe by the environmental sustainability of it all. And as you have dug in over the years, you've become quite uh, um, convinced, I guess, it sounds to me, of the uh, equity side of, of things as you look at people who lack access to healthy food, the the way farm workers are treated, et cetera. And so it, it becomes a more complex picture uh, over time for you. Is Am I understanding that right, do you think? Um, me personally, uh, no. <laughs> me personally, okay. I was actually drawn to this work because of my own um my interest in social justice, my interest in looking for, okay, where, how do we impact change? How do we ensure, um, you know, access, fair access to, to resources, um, to rights uh, within communities? I'm from a, a low income community. I'm from a community of color. I am from a place that lives and, you know, and, and sees these injustices every day. Um, and so actually, when I was in college, um, my, my first college paper was looking at food culture. It was it was a, um, a race and gender analysis of food culture <laughs> because it was one of the most, you know, I have, there are food system workers in my family, 
um, you know, just seeing what is what they were experiencing. Um, family members who have had early deaths from preventable diet-related disease. And again, we could talk about individual behavior, but when we look at what's available, when we look at what's being pushed in the community, when we look at how we're being targeted with predatory marketing, um, so you could look at a food system worker all the way from farm labor uh, through the value chain, and you can see all the ways in which, um, again, low-income communities, communities of color, uh, are being exploited by these systems. So I saw exploitation, I saw suffering in my own community and felt responsible and, and driven to do something about it. Um, so that was first and foremost. What I saw with food was the opportunity, the, the many ways in which all, so many systems cross through food and farm systems work, right? So many of our, our economics in the United States, so many issues that cross through there. So I saw both an incredibly in fact, an impactful arena to be able to engage in those deeper changes. And food is also something that's deeply beautiful. It's a medium. It's a point of connection. It's a point of ancestral uh, remembrance. It's something so deeply powerful for all of us, just a smell or a flavor that can flood back a remembrance of who we are, where we're from, it can ground us, it can open up worlds for us. I mean, it is a very powerful medium. So I saw something that was both meaningful, impactful, and beautiful. That's my personal journey. Food, yeah, yeah. <laughs> food for food certainly is that, uh, and I, I, you know, that idea resonates with me deeply because I love nothing more than food, but. Uh, I want to dig a little deeper, and I, I apologize. If you don't want to go there, if it's too painful, please just uh, say no. But but you mentioned that in your own experience, you saw exploitation and you saw suffering. Uh, I'm still wanting to get clarity around that. Uh, I think there those phrases have deep meaning for you because you saw it firsthand. And I think many of the people in the audience have not seen that firsthand and they understand what those words mean, but they're not feeling yet the experience you've had and the passion that comes from that experience. Can you, can you share some details about maybe something you saw as you were growing up or something you've seen in your work that would help us understand that, that suffering, that exploitation better? Um, yeah, I think, um, an example could be, um, my, uh, eldest brother, he actually worked, um, for McDonald's. He started working with them when he was a teen. Um, and you know, if you look at the marketing of their products at that time, um, you know, there was nothing that would indicate, uh, that their product again at the time, uh, he was born in 1969, uh, that the products were unhealthy or to what degree they were unhealthy or even, um, to what degree sugar sweetened beverages, what kind of impact they have on the body. So that research was not readily available to the public. Um, their product was being, um, supported with marketing starting at, you know, aimed at children with their cartoon characters and then mm -hmm. their toys. Um, and so, you know, growing up in an environment, but particularly when you were looking at uh, what is the geographic uh, location selected for a lot of these um, uh, fast food um, establishments, 
they were abundant in our community. They were nearly, you know, they were all over the place. So again, it's so normalized that it, you wouldn't necessarily stop to think, wow, um, this meal that can feed a family of six is so inexpensive, but it's inexpensive for a reason. Um, and the cost, the true cost of providing that meal is far greater than we would ever imagine. So, um, you know, growing up in that space, uh, my brother, it seemed, you know, felt inclined. They were hiring help wanted, you know, immediate way to learn some uh, basic uh, skills for employment. And um, by the time he worked there for first for two years, and by the time he was 18, because they also didn't pay well, so it was incredibly difficult for him. Um, he wanted to move out early, so he, he left home to go support himself. Um, which is a very admirable and very independent thing to do for, um, for him. Uh, but he was reliant on the food that was available. So that's what he was living from. And by the time he was 18, um, he had developed type 2 diabetes to the degree that he was having um, grand mal seizures. So at 18, he was incredibly sick. Um, and again, that was from the food that he, had, he was ingesting, that he had access to. Uh, the company that he was working with. So in addition mm -hmm. to what was not a great working environment, was incredibly low pay, his access to, to food, you know, he, he didn't have money to go spend on, on fancy or, or what ends up healthy food, you know, is, ends up being called fancy food. He didn't have that kind of money. Um, so my brother actually uh, passed away in 2017 um, from, you know, actually, no, it was 2016, pardon me. Um, due to diet related yeah. disease and complications to the diabetes, which he spent, you know, decades suffering, yeah. uh, terrible consequences. Just 47 years old, right? Am I doing the math right? 47 years old. Exactly. Yeah. It, far yeah. too young. Heartbreaking. Um, Heartbreaking. but that, you know, this is one example, one example of many, this is a, a reality that's faced by so many. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that perspective. It, you know, there there is so much uh, injustice, but so many of us are oblivious to it, right? And, and I think that's the nature of your work, right? To make sure that the communications tools and resources are there, so that that kind of suffering, that kind of exploitation, doesn't go unheard and and unnoticed anymore. So. I appreciate you sharing that. Um, you have done a lot. Uh, we, we've kind of recapped some of your career and the fabulous work you've been doing from a policy standpoint, from a community organizing standpoint, from a community finance standpoint, and now in the nonprofit world. Uh, very accomplished. And, and clearly you've got a skill set that empowers and enables you to do a lot of great things. But in that skill set, what do you see as your superpower? My superpower. Um, well, I think there's two that I would credit myself with. Okay. <laughs> One is um, probably what boils down to being shrewdly pragmatic. Uh, I can both envision and implement. So you know, I can look into the stars with everyone else and say, wow, yes, that's the world I want. And um, my next question is, okay, how about how do we get there? So 
it's really being able to be both, you know, look at the big picture and refine it down to, you know, an operational standpoint of what is it, what is it going to take? What are the strategies? What are the tactics? How do we resource it? How do we move it forward? So I think that's one. Um, I think that ability to move from that big picture to find fine details um, a, a bit rare. So I would say that. And then I would say the other is um, not losing focus on, on my own voice. Why am I here and what am I doing? Yeah. Uh, let's focus for just a minute on that, on that second superpower. You talk about, you know, not losing track of or focus on your own voice. Um, can you think of a time when, when that was essential to the success of a project that you've completed, something that you're proud of having done? Um, gosh, I think, I think I would center it in all of my achievements, just in that I really do try, I try to be true to myself. I try to be authentic. Um, I try to be direct and candid in who I am. Um, that is a little bit how I'm able to preserve that. Um, and I know that, yeah, that's, that's what I bring. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So I'm trying to think uh, if there's anything. You know, I think uh, one of the one of the achievements, you know, in the last uh, year or so was um, producing a podcast. Uh, I worked uh, on the, designing a podcast called "The Food Future Is Here," and I think the overall tone that came through, the care for community, the level of dedication, but also just love and all the ways in which these amazing practitioners bring lifting their voices up and um, giving them an opportunity to share the many innovative ways in which they're approaching this issue. But again, what really came out of it was such a deep sense of, of caring and love. Yeah, that's great. Obviously, you've been able to master this skill. That's, that's how it's become a superpower. How would you coach other people to kind of own their own voice, to be able to leverage it as a tool, as a resource, uh, as a skill for uh, advancing the work that they're doing? I think the first thing, um, you know, that comes to mind takes me all the way back to the very beginning of my career when I helped to um, co-develop an advocacy program that really was around how to cultivate your voice. It was called Strong Voices. Um, and I think for me, it was speak from your true self. Um, you know, in, in our settings, when we have talking points and we work with institutions and if we're speaking, you know, advocating to decision makers, we want to stay on point. And so it is actually a great practice to have talking points so that we know what are the what are the pieces of information about this particular topic that we want to make sure to impart. Um, and that information is only as meaningful as I think the context that it's provided within. So I think when we really provide our most authentic voice so that we're not having to try to memorize things because that also can obscure when you're trying to think through, oh, how do I, I can't, what am I supposed to? <laughs> 
um, to integrate it. Why are you there? How is this personal for you? How, you may not have been you know, raised within a low-income community. You may not know what it looks like firsthand, but you care, and why do you care? Where is this personally affecting you? We are all in this together. There is a place for all of us to reflect on how does this impact you? Speak from that place. That, I think, is uh, an important aspect of that work. Yeah, great, great tips. Well, uh, Esperanza, I'm so grateful that you would take the time to be with us today. Before we wrap up, would you take a minute and tell people how they can learn more about the Food and Farm Communications Fund, how they can perhaps connect with you on social media or otherwise, uh, just so that people have a way to continue learning about what you're doing? Absolutely. Our website is foodandfarmcommunications.org. That's a great place to learn more about the work. It's a great place to connect with us. We do have a Twitter handle, and that's at FFCFBHerd, and that's BHerd spelled out. Um, that's another great place to connect with us. Um, Instagram is a place to learn more about our events and just some of the ways in which we're talking about our work. That is the same handle, at FFCFBHerd. And we would definitely invite any and all folks to connect with us, learn more about the work that we're doing, learn how um, they too can participate, amplify the voice of uh, communities working um, impacted by food inequity, food system inequities, and uh, who are working to change that. Fantastic. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Esperanza. I'm so grateful that you would take the time to do this today. It's just... Uh, Really a pleasure and honor to get to know you and the work you're doing. And we wish you every success in trying to bring more justice to America and the global food system. Uh, you know, it's a, a global problem, I think. So thank you. And we wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Devin. It was very nice speaking with you. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show twice each week. We host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now keep using your superpowers for good. Together we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.